Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class and Rebetzin Otai. Uh, Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Mayor Agami, Lilu Nishmat Meir Ben Esther, sponsored by his son Isaac Agami. Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated in celebration of the engagement of Isaac Syed, son of Sammy. That sounds very murdery, by the way. Isaac, son of Sam? Come on. Alava uh, Shalom. Sammy said Alava Shalom, Shalom, right? And Shalom Rivka. And Rochelle. To Esther Haddad, sponsored by Richie, or Ricky, and James Haddad. Mazaltov, Simantov, Mabruk. We could not be happier for you, Isaac. You're the very, very best that there is. Lastly, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash, and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Um, we also would like to, at some stage, if uh, the cold brew is not enough, I'm now sitting here with two cups of coffee in front of me. There was another cup of coffee that just made its exodus from the table. So we are looking, Be'ezrat Hashem, to purchase for the Beta Knesset one of those uppity, super cool coffee machines uh, that has all the different ones that you could just push like a, a proper consumer one, like Sammy, like they have in the private jet hangers. The ones that spit out a cup of coffee in 60 seconds. So all those cups of coffee are going to keep people awake for the tefillah, awake for my exhausting speeches, and other things like that. What a zechut that coffee station will be. We're going to put a big sign on the coffee station. nishmat somebody. So if you'd like to sponsor this magnificent coffee, and also I'm going to ask Sammy son as a special favor to try and not set it on fire. Okay, this is why we can't have nice things. Okay, let's get started. My friends, in our parasha, we read something magnificent. The parasha tells us about the fact that B'Tzalel and the, uh, the people who had donated of their time, the volunteers, that were coming forward to build the temple, they were called Chacham Lev. They are Chacham Lev. They are, they are wise-hearted. They built the Mishkan. And these guys did it. And the wise-hearted and the ones that Hashem had made wise-hearted. It keeps referring to them as wise-hearted. Which is kind of like, I feel like either they're, you know, they're like alter ego, super cool, like knight name, you know, like Richard the wise-hearted instead of the lion. I'm not sure exactly. But each time they're called wise-hearted. But what's fascinating to me is that God tells us why they wise-hearted. Because I made them that way. And in the heart of all of the wise-hearted, and in the heart of all the wise-hearted, God says, I put wisdom. Now, when you look at that, I mean, it makes you sit up and take notice a little bit about the fact that God chooses the people that are wise-hearted to give wisdom to. That's like what it sounds like, right? It sounds like Hashem like looks around, sees all the wise people, and gives them more wisdom. And all the rest of us idiots are sitting around, we're like, come on! <laughs> yeah? However, first of all, that is a thing. Uh, we say in Aramaic, Yahiv chokhmah God gives wisdom to the wise. But I think there's something else here. Because if you look in the language of Ramban and of Nachmanides, you'll discover perhaps an alternate reason, an alternate understanding. He says that each one of these wise-hearted people, it, it, wasn't an, it wasn't something that they were naturally aware of. Listen carefully to what he says. In fact, here and in another place in chapter 31, Ramban writes that they had spent the last 200 years as a people 
working back-breaking labor, doing work which was uh, not work of the fingers, work of the, of the shoulders, work of the back. They didn't have the perhaps fine motor skills that someone needs to develop, to be able to work with precious stones, with gold, with silver. That's uh, the work of an artist. It's not brute force labor, which they'd literally been conditioned nationally to be able to do. So he says something fascinating. He says, but when they wanted to build the Mishkan, and their hearts were uplifted to be able to want to do something badly enough, he found in his nature the wisdom and the skill to be able to perform these intricate duties. Whether it was working with precious stones and precious metals, whether it was incredibly complicated acts of weaving where there were different images found on either side of the tapestry. Normally when you sew something, on one side it looks beautiful, on the other side it's a, it's a mess. That's how the back side of a yarn looks. But here, the opposite side of the eagle was a lion. I mean, it was just so, so, ta- you needed such an inborn talent to be able to achieve this. And what Ramban is telling us is fascinating. It is not saying that God gave wisdom to the wise-hearted, post facto. Rather, that the wise-heartedness of these people was something that had been placed in them previously by God. And in the heart of every wise-hearted person, God had placed wisdom. Not God placed wisdom. God had placed wisdom. And the Ramban, when we are first introduced to the character known as Bitzal'el, he reveals to us something magnificent. If you look at the end of the piece over there that I quoted just now, in chapter 31, Ramban writes, Re'u, see, karati b'shem b'tzal'el ben Uri ben Khur. See, I called the name of b'tzal'el. What does that mean? Karati b'shem. It should say, I called on b'tzal'el. The Ramban brings, he brings a pasuk in Yeshaya. Beterem etzarecha before I made you in the womb, Yedatika, I knew you. Before you were even born, Kidashtika, I sanctified you. I set you aside for this purpose. Bitzalel was called by the name Bitzalel. He does not, it's not that now in this moment God looked around and said, like sometimes. Uh, Haron is in the first minyan on Shabbat when it comes time for the Sefer. So we're like, And we're all singing like a bunch of morons and no one's coming to open up the Sefer because someone has to be invited. (laughs) So a lot of times you don't notice the work that people do until that person's not there. No one's coming, everyone's looking around, no one knows. right? Until someone has to just kind of point a finger and be like, you, (laughs) you carry the Sefer, right? So that's what happens. That's literally what happened this Shabbat. So it wasn't that God needed a job to get done. Haron happened to be in first minyan. So Hashem's like, B'tzalel. No. Hir'alo, says Ramban. He showed him 
Sefer Toldot HaAdam. Now this is wicked cool. He showed him the book of the generations of man. Okay, so pause, hold on. Backstory. Fan fiction, except it's not fiction. All right? God has a book. And in the book is everybody's name. How cool is this? And what every person is going to do and accomplish in this world. How sick is that? You're all thinking, oh, premeditation, free will. Shut up. <laughs> I hate when people bring up like the same old question. Good, we'll deal with that when we deal with that. Not now in the middle of a class. Yes, Hashem, He is above time. He knows what you're going to do. Not because he's, de he's decreeing it, but because you've done it in real time and God just happens to also be present before. That's just how being above time works. God's wisdom, as Rambam says, is not, God's premeditation is not a contradistinction, does not act in contradistinction to our free will to choose. Because God's knowledge of what we do is based on our choice. And then just God has this really cool feature of being able to know it before because he's above time. Now, Sefer Toldot Adam says Ramban, he opens it up and he points to Bitzalel. Her'alo! He showed him, look, Bitzalel was in this book. He was always meant to do this job. He was always outfitted. Now we understand what he means, Ramban. He was always granted the incredible talents that he needed to be able to do this job. So what happened now? Rabbi Tversky, who was an expert in, uh, in psychology, but particularly where psychology, human psychology interacted with Judaic, and Ju and Ju Judaic practice and Judaism, he wrote many, many books on self-confidence, on self-doubt, on mental health, on anxiety, on sobriety. And his books are unbelievable. All of them, including the ones that he writes with the help of Snoopy. Okay? Fantastic stuff. Really? Like, I, I'd never sat there and learned. Have you ever read those books? Unbelievable. You're sitting there looking at a Snoopy and you have your Gemara thumb out. Like, you know, so why did Snoopy say that to Lois? Okay, fine. Amazing stuff. Get them all. At a bookstore near you. you. Guys, remember that? Bookstores? Okay. So he says something unbelievable. He says in therapy, many times, you could sit there with a patient for a year and you'll be telling him something again and again and again and again. And then one day, a year into therapy, the guy will all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. How come you never told me this? How come you never mentioned this? And you want to chop the head off. I'm, I'm saying that he doesn't say that. He was very calm and nice. I'm not. But at that stage, what happened? The penny drops. Until your heart is ready to hear something, your brain will not accept it. The person doesn't turn to the therapist and say, oh, now I understand what you've been saying all this time. No. The brain blocks even the hearing of that thing. Because it just doesn't want to accept it. Rabbi Tversky says that's why it calls 
the person, Chacham Lev, when we don't normally associate wisdom with the heart. Because in Torah we recognize that all wisdom is irrelevant until a person has the emotional capacity to be able to accept it. So here are a bunch of people, listen to the words of Rambam, Ramban again now. And God gave these wise-hearted people wisdom. They wanted to do something so bad. And matze'u bitiv'am. They suddenly found in their nature something that they were already able to do. How much wisdom is there inside of me and inside of you that is not yet being used, is not yet being touched because we haven't wanted something enough to be able to surface that wisdom. Let me give you an example. There are documented examples of people in moments of great, uh, of great tension, of great stress, of great trauma, who have managed to do something which would seem to us to be superhuman. Moving, pushing a car, jumping over an eight foot, 10 foot fence, you know? It doesn't seem humanly possible. But they do it in a moment uh, of urgency, of emergency, where the adrenaline kicks in and suddenly the body reveals itself to be far more capable than you previously thought. Why? Because something told the body, this must be done. And all of a sudden what happens? That thing, you didn't create the ability. You just surfaced it. You didn't create the thought, the capacity, the talent. You just surfaced it. Rabbi Tversky writes that many geniuses are actually not geniuses. They just wanted something enough to have pursued it with uh, so much devotion and thought and persistence that they showed signs or indications that other people, for them to figure this out, would have required a modicum of genius. But within them, that genius was achieved through hard work and determination. How much of this is going on unused, flowing through your veins? How many people die without revealing their inner greatness, their inner wisdom, that they could have surfaced had they cared about something enough. <clears throat> now, it seems to me that the avodah, that the work lies, perhaps, not in the difficult work. The work lies, perhaps, not even in the study. Where does the work lie? Where does the true work lie in education? Where does the true work lie in, uh, in marriage? Where does the true work lie in Avodat HaKodesh, in the development of self on a spiritual level? It lies, and again, and these are the key words in the title of this class, in developing desire. Now those two words don't sound, they're not usually or commonly put together. They're not juxtaposed ever. Because if you desire something, you don't need to develop it. I still remember uh, the one and only Jackie Mason. Passed away. Remember Jackie? 
Jackie Mason says, you know, you have society telling you, this tastes good, that tastes good, and you feel like since everyone in society likes it, so you want to like it. But he says, but you taste the potato chip. No one ever told you about potato chip, that you have to develop a taste, develop a taste. You know why? Because it tastes good. <laughs> Do you understand this? I just told myself a better joke than I told you. <laughs> Look at this person sitting here looking at me. Okay, fine. You don't have to develop a taste for a potato chip because you already love it. Most desires, you don't have to develop a taste, correct? You don't need to develop desire. And that is true when you have your natural base instincts developing the desire for you. Your taste buds are telling you, mmm, salt. Do you know why you like potato chips? One of the reasons is because of the salt in the potato chip. You know why? Do you know? Because it's that our body craves, it needs a certain level of salt. So the body knows this enough to be able to onboard it and to send you messages. We need that thing. Did you know that? I'll just give you an example. Um, I met a woman, her name was Bobby Newman. Okay? She lived in the camps, in the concentration camps. She discovered when she was sorted in clothes in Canada, she discovered a few diamonds. It was a dress, and in the buttons of this long dress, she noticed that the buttons were not the same size. So she gave, gave attention to the buttons, she played around with them, and they, one of it broke off, and each button had within it a diamond. She met someone in the camp who said, I used to be a shoemaker. If you give me the diamonds, and you give me your shoes, I'll remove the heel, I'll carve out the heel, and I'll put the diamonds for you in the heel, so you'll be able to have them in case you need them ever to barter. <coughs> she did. He hid the diamonds for her. She traded two diamonds. And listen what she says. She traded one diamond for a pot of soup. Could you imagine? You mach shemam, the original soup Nazi. Yeah. Yes. A diamond for a pot of soup. But that makes sense, right? Yeah. That's what brought them back to life. She shared it with her friends. You know what the second diamond she, she traded for? A bag of salt. Technically, salt is a rock. So she traded one rock for another. For all the geologists listening to this. Why? Because her body told her that if I don't have salt, she was craving pure salt. Isn't that wild? And if you think that this is just a crazy lady, I found that in, England, in Israel... <clears throat> That the babies in Israel, listen to this, the babies in Israel lick the walls. See, only the Israeli guy is nodding his head. All of you are thinking, Israelis are crazy. And they're not crazy. Because the walls in Israel, they're limestone. 
There's calcium in the walls. The baby, if he's licking the walls and you ask the doctor, the doctor will tell you that the baby is calcium deficient. How the heck did the baby know he's calcium deficient? What do you go on, J-Elf? You know? How do you know that? My daughter was eating mud. Went to the doctor. What the heck is going on with this kid? Defective. Give us another one. (laughs) Doctor says, check her. I'm sure she's iron deficient. And she was. How? How does the baby know? And in the heart of every wise-hearted person, I placed wisdom. There is so much wisdom, intuitive wisdom, that we just don't have access to. We don't understand how we know these things. You ever get a really bad feeling in your stomach that something's wrong and you're right? And there's no way you should have known that. You're like, I should have trusted my gut. What is that expression? This is a wisdom that needs to be surfaced. So there are natural developers of desire. Your body tells you, I need this. But when it comes to spiritual matters, if your soul is not in tune with what it needs, who's going to develop that desire? Who's going to develop it? One aspect of that developing desire in Hasidut, is called Kisufin. When a person, he feels a sense of yearning. Person suddenly feels like they have to go to shul. Most days they're like, eh, today, I don't know, I just thought I was in the mood. You're licking the wall. Your soul is telling you, we need some calcium. Spiritual calcium but calcium nonetheless. Developing desire. So sometimes we get flashes of it. I just felt like I needed a class. And then you go and you're like, wow, I feel great. Rabbi, you don't know. I went to the class. I feel amazing. I don't know what it is. I kept Shabbat. I kept uh, Tzedakah. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I just feel great. That's your soul plugging into this. But sometimes we've created so many layers of mud, of materialism, that the soul is shouting, but you can't hear it. The soul is screaming. In the language of Kabbalah, that's called kilipot. Covers. There's so many covers, so many mechitzot, so many separations, that I can't hear what my soul is screaming to me. So what does a person do then? And this is fascinating. If it takes the heart to be able to wake up the mind, to discover what's already in there, what you already know how to do, what you're already capable of, then what do you do if the heart is buried? You use your head to kickstart your heart, to kickstart your head. This is, I'm giving you something here which is very deep. You know when your head tells you, you don't feel You're in a marriage, you're in a relationship, and you feel distant. Your heart doesn't feel love. But in your head, you know, I should not give up on this. But I don't feel connected. So what happens? It's not that the heart tells the head, figure out how to solve this. 
It's the head who tells the heart, we're not done yet. Give me a minute. And then the heart says, okay, let's try. And then the head kicks back in. It's fascinating when you start to have an awareness of how your psychological circles run. How your motivational uh, kind of waxing and waning operates. This, my friends, is what the Pasuk is teaching us. Everything that you need is already inside of you. The only challenge is accessing it. And sometimes there's a million locked doors and you're sitting there fumbling with the key. You don't know which key in the big key ring. That's what you're doing. But it's there. And in fact, we understand according to what we've learned today, the words, the depth of the words, Rabbi Yehuda, where the Talmud asks, how come this Masechet follows this Masechet? How come they learn this after they learn this? It's not in order. And the Gemara quotes from Yehuda who says, the reason why he arranged it this way is because this is what the students wanted to learn. Ve'en adam lomed, a person does not study, finish it, ela betochma, he only learns betochma in something, shelibo chafetz, his heart desires. So you look at that statement, you're like, oh, okay, they, they just wanted to choose a book that they liked. Now you understand, no. You can't learn anything unless you've developed that desire. And therefore, Rabbi Huda was happier to teach them out of order because he understood that if they felt they wanted to learn something else, that was where their success in learning would lie. This idea has so many different practical ramifications. But it makes me go back to that woman in the Holocaust, to Bobby Newman, who found these diamonds, who's told by a shoemaker, give me the diamonds, give me your shoe, I'll carve out the heel, I'll put the, the diamonds in the heel. And in Bobby's story, she gets to take out those diamonds and use them and trade them for things that save a life. But how many of us walk around our whole life and never get the chance to trade in the inner wisdom, the inner power, the inner capabilities of our lives for something valuable. And we die with the diamonds in our heel and nobody knows and they chuck the shoes in the garbage. What a waste. Your name my name was written in the Sefer Toldot Adam, with a distinct purpose. And it is a great achievement to die, and at the end of your days it should say on your grave that you were a beloved father, or a mother, or a sister, or a brother, or a husband, a wife, a friend, whatever. But if that's all it says, maybe there were some diamonds that weren't spent. That's a wonderful thing to be. But maybe there was much more. And I dare to think that the word I should be using is not maybe. So what is your chacham lev? What do you know how to do? One method of this is looking inside yourself and asking, what do I know how to do? But another method of figuring out what you know how to do is asking yourself, 
What do I really want to do? What do I think needs to be done? And in the space of your desire that you've developed, emerges uh, he finds already encoded in his nature everything he needs to be able to fulfill his heart's desire. May we be zocheh to realize our own untapped greatness. Baruch Adonai Amen